Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It's our final edition of the week of our Believe in Blazers podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm your congenial host, Brian Wheeler, and uh, we are joined by a very special guest. Uh, boy, we really have been bringing out the heavy artillery to close out the week. Last uh, week, we had the godfather, Dwight James, to uh, join us. And uh, this time around, we have somebody that uh, has covered sports in the uh, Portland area. Uh, well, I guess you have to go back to 1975 uh, to find out when he first started and a lot of experience and a lot of great writing between then and now. And we're going to talk about a lot of that with the Dean of Portland Sports. That would be Kerry Eggers. Kerry, how are you, sir? I'm doing great, Wheels. Thanks for having me on. Well, happy to uh, to do that. And uh, a six-time Oregon Sports Writer of the Year, uh, the Dean of Portland Sports. Uh, uh, you know, we, we technically um, heard that you were semi-retiring, but it doesn't seem like it because you seem to be as busy as ever. Uh, uh, among other things, you've been putting the finishing touches on your sixth book. This one about the late uh, Jerome Kersey. Uh, tell us, first of all, how did you make the decision to write about Jerome? And are you happy with the way things have turned out with uh, the book nearing publication now? Yeah, thanks, Wheels. Uh, yeah, actually, this is my eighth book. So, uh, uh, But it, the way it came about was uh, a group from Virginia had actually the old sports information director, Hope Curry, had started a book with Jerome from Longwood, where, where Jerome went to school, Longwood, Virginia, in 1998, never finished it. A group that he was included in wanted to have that done. So they reached out and uh, long story short, he decided to do the take on the project. I'm writing my own book, of course, but, um, you know, spent some time back in Virginia, visited Clarksville, which is where Jer Jerome grew up. I visited Farmville, which is where he went to college, met with friends, uh, relatives, that sort of thing. And then I've talked to about 80 people who, you know, around the NBA who knew, knew uh, Jerome. Uh, and, and then, of course, uh, you know, some of his close friends, too. So the book is actually written. Uh, Steve Brannon, our sports editor at the, uh, at the uh, Tribune, was the copy editor for the book, which was great. And we sent it to the publisher last week. And so it should be out uh, sometime in probably late August. Glad you corrected me. I can't read my own writing. I did have eight, uh, eight book down. So, uh, so I'm glad that we, uh, we, we have the correct, uh, the correct facts on uh, that particular uh, situation because we don't want to shortchange you at all. Uh, this edition of the Believe in Blazers podcast is brought to you in part by Bet Online. It's the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. Bet Online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to uh, place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Uh, you can do so by heading to the website betonline.ag or use your mobile device to sign up today. You'll receive 50% as a welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Again, head to betonline.ag or use your mobile device device to sign up today. Receive that 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Uh, Carol, let's uh, continue on with the conversation about uh, Jerome. Was it difficult to write a book about a person that's no longer alive? You know, nobody's asked me that question, and it certainly was. Uh, it changed the whole scenario. Now, the fortunate thing was Hope Curry had interviewed him extensively in 1998 wheels, so I had a lot of quotes about his life up to that point, nothing from 1998 to 2015 when Jerome died. So, you know, anything that I used beyond that had to be old, uh, you know, old interviews that he'd done certainly did make it more difficult. You covered him his entire career and uh, also certainly knew him uh, very well after his playing days were over. In writing the book, did you discover 
a lot of things about him that maybe you didn't know already? Not too much, really. I mean, Jerome was an open book, uh, a wonderful personality, a guy that connected with almost everybody. Uh, I didn't find anybody who didn't like him, uh, even his ex-wife. I shouldn't say ex-wife, his longtime girlfriend and mother, uh, Angelo Stellato, of, of his daughter. They get along. They got along great right till the end of his life. And and so, uh, you know, I, I really I don't think I, I I learned a whole lot of things that I didn't expect. Um, he, uh, he, like I said, he touched so many people in, in a mostly positive way. Writing is writing, I suppose, but uh, does it require, has it required a different approach uh, when putting together a, a game recap or a column uh, versus composing a book? Sure is. Uh, you try to stay away from the, the uh, too much of the uh, statistics that you use during a, a game story. There were I, I used quite a bit in the first year or two just to, to show how much he played. You know, one of the things that did surprise me a little bit, you know, he always complained about that first year or two he didn't get to play for Jack Ram, uh, for Jack Ramsey. Which, going back and looking at it, wheels, that's not true. He immediately was was in the uh, uh, rotation. I think he averaged twelve point four minutes as a rookie. That not bad. I think it was eighteen as a second year player. He was fighting for minutes with Kiki Vandeweghe, who was a you know a former All Star and, and one of the league's great scorers. And it took him about three or four years to beat Jerome, uh, to beat Kiki out, but Jerome did it just because he was a much more well-rounded player, great rebounder. He could run, he could dunk, and do a lot more things than Kiki. For the writing that uh, you've done lately, has there been an extra challenge uh, during our uh, pandemic era? Well, um, I, I'm. As you know, we also I started a website shortly after I retired from the Portland Tribune called CarrieEggers.com, and we have about a thousand subscribers. It's free, and and uh, you know, so I've been doing quite a bit of writing. Um, it hasn't affect impacted me too much because I can do most of it on the phone. I I think I would do more personal interviews uh, if if in fact we had been allowed to do that, but. You know, I'm, I'm kind of writing about what I want to, uh, some Blazer stuff, some Oregon State stuff, some, you know, just general uh, notes type columns that I try to do. And I seem to be popular with people that you like to see a, a covering a, a variety of, uh, of topics. Yeah, I'm proud to say I'm a subscriber and I, I love the, the notes columns when you cover a whole lot of different different topics. And uh, it really, uh, really shows a vast variety of things that you can kind of catch up on and, and really want to column, which is which is really not something you can find anywhere else. Um, now we asked, uh, your old friend Dwight James, uh, when he was on the podcast, uh, recently about the origin of his nickname, the Godfather, when were you first called the Dean? Well, that was, uh, Chad doing, uh, Chad, the body doing, uh, came up with that. And I guess he thought other than Dwight, I was around the longest of anybody in, uh, in town. So he figured, uh, maybe I'm the junior member of that, uh, <laughs> fraternity, but, uh, in any event, uh, yeah, it kind of stuck. It does kind of speak to an emeritus status in many respects. I mean, it's a very it's a very regal uh, you know, designation, I think. I guess so. I don't take it too seriously. <laughs> and very appropriate in that, in that respect, I guess. Uh, now, uh, let's talk about the Blazers. Tough loss uh, for them last night in Phoenix, but they've been playing their best uh, basketball of the season over the last few weeks, which obviously is a good thing heading into the postseason, which they hope will not include uh, the uh, play-in to tournament uh, over the next week, but how do you evaluate uh, their playoff chances? Will it come down maybe to what uh, kind of matchup they get? Yeah, that and health. I mean, I, that that's been the difference, obviously, in the last what three weeks. They've they've had 
Nurkic and CJ healthy. And man, CJ's played terrific. Damian has been just, I mean, he's in one of those, you know, when he's in at his best, he is as good as anybody. Uh, so those two entities have been really positive for him. Nurkic to me is, has been very sporadic. He's definitely helped their defense. Their defense is better than it was earlier. And, but man, I, I thought he really let him down last night. Uh, Aiton was not playing for Phoenix. Uh, I just thought Nurk missed too many. He's missed too many easy shots. Uh, he's not been a force that he needs to be. If, if, if he could be the force that he can be at times, the three of them going, I think they got a chance against anybody wheels. Uh, you know, most of the other contenders have some injuries. Even, uh, you know, the, the Clippers with Kawhi Leonard, you don't know how his health is going to be. Uh, you know, the, uh, the Lakers, of course, with LeBron, uh, you know, all, all the teams that you would say there are ahead of them. Now, maybe Phoenix might be the one exception. Phoenix was terrific. I think there's four teams that are better than them in the West, but I, I, I wouldn't put it past the Blazers to knock any of them out. Now there have been some whispers, uh, maybe even a little louder than a whisper that's unless the team has an extended playoff run. And that seems to be a fairly subjective term in and of itself. But if they don't, that uh, Terry Stott's uh, job as head coach could be in jeopardy. Uh, are you sensing that as well? Well, I have no inside information on that. Uh, I, I've certainly heard that. And, you know, uh, to, to last nine years as a head coach, as you know, as well as anybody, that's unusual. Uh, Terry's done a, a nice job in his time in Portland uh, and he's built one of the best offensive machines. Well, he, he's, he's, at least he's allowed the, the, the players to play and, 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 you know, they've become one of the best offensive machines defensively. They've been disappointing. And frankly, I don't, I think even now though, their numbers are better. They're average at best on the defense end. I think it's going to be up to Neil O'Shea that he said, look, do we need a change of scenery? Um, I, I know Damian Lillard doesn't want that to happen, and I have a feeling that he'll have a big say in it, but in the end, it'll be Neil O'Shea's uh, responsibility. And I guess the tricky thing about all this when trying to speculate as to what could happen is nobody seems to know uh, where Jody Allen sits on any of these things, and uh, uh, she obviously has uh, – she, she started coming to games now that uh, now that uh, folks have been led into the building at a greater, uh, greater number at Moda Center, but – hasn't done any press conferences, hasn't done any interviews. And so really hard to gauge uh, how involved she is, what uh, her opinions are. Is she going to let the basketball people run things? Is she going to inject her opinion? We know that her, her brother certainly would have, but uh, it's hard to kind of kind of determine what kind of owner she is and, um, and and if she even wants to continue to be an owner long-term. Uh, that, that, that obviously still is, is something to speculate too. You know, in the early years of Paul Allen's ownership wheels, he made himself available to the media at times, not a lot, but at times it got less and less. And in the last, I'd say five years, it was virtually nothing. And that was the biggest appointment to me. I, I, I think an owner owes it to the fans and, and to the media or covering the team to occasionally weigh in on, you know, directly on what, what he's feeling about the club. So yeah, Jody has not been available at all since she took over. I guess it's been three years now. I'd like to see her, uh, you know, have a occasional press briefing or, or do some interviews and let people know what she's thinking. My guess is, is that she's going to let Neil run, the, you know, run things. But um, I would imagine she, she will have, have some input in, in any decision, too. Well, you mentioned Damien. Uh, where does he rank for you among uh, the all-time great trailblazers that you've covered? Second. He's second. He's behind Clyde. 
Uh, people, the young people seem to think he's already passed him. That's not true. Clyde was the runner up for the, the uh, uh, MVP in 92. Uh, second best player in the game behind Michael Jordan. Led the Blazers to the NBA Finals twice. Uh, he's a Hall of Famer. He he holds all, you know, he's still, a, you know, significantly ahead of Damian in the scoring leader. Now, uh, will Damian pass him and become the greatest Blazer? It's certainly possible. I think if Damian can continue on the same path in another two, three years, he, he may, you might say, hey, yep, now he's the guy. We talked to Dwight about this and wanted to get to your thoughts as well. Are you surprised that here we sit in 2021 and Portland still has only one team amongst the four major professional sports? <sighs> Surprised I, a, a little bit and disappointed a lot. Um, this recent news that the Oakland A's uh, are, you know, up for relocation. I, I, I have a sense at one side of me says, are they just uh, kind of posturing with the uh, Oakland, uh, you know, county commission to try to get a, a deal done so they can build a stadium down there? Which could be. Uh you know, I know uh, Craig Cheek and Mike Barrett and their group, uh, you know, the, the Portland Diamond Project continues to work for getting a stadium built up here. If we had a stadium, I think we'd have it now. So maybe if you have the money, get the damn stadium built and maybe we have a second team. We know that uh, that is the group that's trying to bring Major League Baseball to Portland. They're not the first one that uh, has uh, had that goal. Uh, Dwight seems to believe that they represent the best chance that the area's had to make that happen during uh, his time following things. And you've been around just uh, in that same period of time. Uh, you're familiar with them. Uh, do you concur with Dwight's assessment that this group maybe has the best chance of making this dream happen? Oh, for sure. For sure. And, you know, they've got a well-organized, they've got some money behind them. They, they've done a lot of homework. Um, you know, they're continuing to work on a place where the, you know, they can, they have to, but they really haven't had the support of the, uh, of the city, you know, the, the mayor uh, and that sort of thing that you'd like to have. And, and now we have all the unrest and the chaos downtown that has resulted in our city downtown core being, you know, really, uh, you know, beat up and mangled. And, 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 you know, with the homeless situation, it's, it's a difficult situation time for them to be courting an MLB franchise. So unfortunately that's, that's something that'll be working against them a little bit in this whole equation. You have a preference expansion versus uh, an existing team moving here. Definitely existing team because it's so much cheaper. I think the, the uh, expansion fee, did I read was it's about 2 million. I, I believe that's the case. So that would pretty much double the cost. I mean, uh, yeah, that would make it much more difficult. So yeah, I think relocation makes a lot more sense. Now, for those who know about your history, your father, John, was a longtime sports information director at your alma mater, Oregon State. What did you learn from him about uh, covering sports and maybe writing in general? Hmm. Oh, that's a good question, Wheels. Um, you know, he actually was a sports writer before he came to Oregon State for one year. He worked at the Oregonian as a sports writer. And so he kind of had that in his background. Really, what I learned more than from him directly was being around the press boxes as a young kid and seeing what the writers and the broadcasters did for a living. I thought to myself, wow, this would be better than actually having to work for a living. You know, <laughs> and you, you and I know, I mean, it's a labor of love, right? But it, it, it's work and, and I'm not minimizing what you have to do, but I learned early on that I love to write and I love to love sports. So it was a 
a, a nice marriage there, getting to do the thing I wanted to do. And, and I've been very, very fortunate to be able to do this all, you know, all my life. How though uh, has uh, maybe the coverage of sports uh, changed over, over the years uh, in terms of trying to get the same kind of uh, stories that you like to put together, uh, maybe the personal um, columns on, on players or coaches, uh, I, I imagine that over the years, there's been additional challenges that have been, uh, have been put into uh, that kind of job. Yeah, for sure. You know, the access you have, uh, for instance, in the NBA, when I first started, it was much easier than it is now. But this, con- this current situation with, uh, you know, when, when COVID hit has made it so much more difficult. Actually, my retirement from the newspaper was at a perfect time because I wouldn't have wanted to. Now it's just zoom calls. You have no personal interaction with the players unless you have a previous personal, you know, interaction. So, I mean, it would be very difficult right now to be those guys that are out there, you know, trying to get stories and it's competitive. You want to do the best job you can. You don't want to just have stories. It's the same stuff as everybody else. So yes, it would be very, very difficult to be doing that right now. Have social media made things uh, better or harder in terms of covering sports? Well, I, I think it's I think it's made it better for the the fan in that they have more immediacy and people have a chance to get stuff immediately out and you, you get immediate knowledge rather than waiting for the paper the next day. But I also think it's led to some sloppiness and and also some non professionals getting their quote opinions out, whereas they don't have any basis. To, to, you know, to be professional. So uh, it's been a mixed bag. I'd say it's been more negative than positive. Uh, I still like the idea of a, a per- person going through, uh, you know, college and, and learning the, the profession, the trade, and, and instead of just immediately being a, quote, expert. Uh, now let's, we know that you still stay very close to the happenings at Oregon State on the football front. Uh, how close is Jonathan Smith to uh, – breaking through with a serious conference contender. Hmm. I don't know. You know, they, they, uh, they're certainly in better position. They've been on a long time wheels. Um, they, uh, you know, will they get to the point where they're a, a perennial contender for the, the championship, the league championship or, or a bowl game? I'm not sure. Um, he's got some good quarterbacks now. That's always a key. Are they great quarterbacks? We don't know. Uh, Jebby is, st- you know, still coming back from his injury. I, I like Chance Nolan, the, the the backup, and supposedly Ben Gilbertson, and and then Sam Vidlak, the, the freshman is. So that's four guys that you know they maybe Pac-12 level guys. They've never had that. They have some holes to fill. And listen, the Pac-12 is competitive, and they've got to win some games that they've been losing closely to. So they've got to beat some teams that they've been losing closely to. If they can do that, they'll make a bowl game this year, and 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 then maybe they'll make the next step. Cinderella season, of course, for uh, Beavers men's basketball going deep into the NCAA tournament. How much uh, will that hopefully help Wayne Tinkle uh, going forward and trying to become a consistent uh, tournament club? Well, there was a lot of grumbling in Beaver Nation about Wayne until that. That's the best thing. I, I, if, if you've never met Wayne, he's a wonderful guy. He's the kind of guy you'd love to have coach your kids. I think he's a he's a perfect guy to be the coach at Oregon State, a family guy. I don't think the small town bothers him, but, um, you know, you have to win. And they were, you know, they're a little better than 500 uh, until this fantastic run, uh, you know, that they made last year. So I think it'll help him. 
Uh, it'll certainly help him in recruiting. Um, he's got a good group coming back. He doesn't have uh, Ethan Thompson, but he's got most everybody else coming back of the, the key guys. So they should be pretty good next year. Uh, will they get to the Elite Eight again? Boy, that's hard. But uh, they should be a better team now, and, and maybe he can build a foundation off of this that will make them a, a contender year after year. How often do you shoot for uh, updating uh, your websites uh, each week? Well, it depends on what else is going on, Wheels. Um, I've kind of neg neglected my golf game. I moved out to Charlotte. <laughs> I've, got a, I've got a golf cart that's hardly been used, so I'm going to try to play a little bit more. Uh, you know, we, we're, I'm gonna, we're gonna start a follow you and, and have a podcast and video cast type uh, series at some point. And uh, so th that'll be something that we're starting to work on. There's another book that I have in mind uh, that in, it'll probably be another year down the road. But um, so, you know, I, I post stuff when I want to, which is nice to, rather than having to do it when you have to. I was going to ask you about other book ideas and, uh, and you don't need to give, any, give anything away before it's uh, time. But uh, but from conception in your mind, how long uh, is there is there a typical amount of time that it usually takes to, to put uh, put it from idea to uh, to completion ready for publication? Another good question. You know, the, the thing I found, this is the first book that I've written where I didn't have a job and it made it much easier. I, I, we got done in fact wheels. We got two, I, our deadline was, I think it was June 1st and I got done on, you know, early April. So I was almost two months ahead of time, man, they were surprised and I was a little surprised too. So, but it, you know, it's generally, you know, you're, you're taking, uh, you know, nine months to a year to do start the interview process and then write the book and, and then go through the, you know, the editing process. And so, yeah, it's, it's a significant portion of your life. Of the seven previous books that you've written, has there been one that has gotten you more uh, commentary when people see you and they bring up uh, one of your books that they've read? Is there one that stands out maybe more than any other in terms of the ones that people seem to uh, talk about the most? I would say probably the last one, the Jailblazers book, um, because, it, you know, it's, it's still a, a bit of controversy. And, uh, you know, uh, some people think it was a great era of basketball. Some people think it was embarrassing. Uh, some people are somewhere in the middle. But, um, yeah, there's there's no shortage of opinions on that Jailblazer era, not just around Portland, but also across the country, people I talk to around the country they they certainly knew of the jailblazers during that era i don't think i've ever asked you this question uh had that had that blazers team won a championship which they probably should have um do you think they would have been looked upon a lot more favorably would would maybe a little bit of a softening of what uh, people thought of when they when they mentioned the term jailblazers absolutely uh, and uh it's funny how that works. Uh, you know, if you play well, if you play really well, they'll over, fans will overlook a lot of things. If you remember, uh, they still were selling out, uh, er, you know, in the early 2000s, uh, even though the Jailblazer era had gone on really for about five or six years. And there was a lot of people discussing with, you know, some of the shenanigans going on, but they liked the way they were playing. Then when they got, they, they had about three, years where they lost first round playoffs, uh, that changed things. And, and all of a sudden, uh, you know, and that's, I think that's when Paul Allen decided, Hey, it's time to pull a plug too. So, um, you, in a, a long answer to your, your question, definitely it, had they won a title. I also, the other thing about that wheels is I don't think Whitsit would have uh, changed things up 
if they'd have won a title saying night, he wouldn't have gotten rid of, of Brian Grant and Jermaine O'Neal. They got, had those two guys in their prime. Uh, imagine what they could have done. Yeah, I, I really have always said that that game seven uh, against the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals in 2000 not only uh, affected what happened that particular season, but really changed the future of both franchises. I think the Lakers, had they lost, uh, all of a sudden Phil Jackson is going to have to explain, hey, I thought you were coming in to fix these things with Kobe and Shaq, and they still uh, can't seem to find a way to, to win despite the talent they have on paper. Um, and there would have been, and the Lakers would have had answer being one of the few teams to, to blow a three games to one lead in a best of seven series. Uh, there would have been a lot of question marks for them. Instead, they win. I knew they would always go on and be confident uh, thereafter in any series they were in that, uh, or any game in the playoffs that they were in that, hey, we came back, uh, you know, from that huge deficit against Portland and won uh, basically by you know, winning one quarter to, uh, uh, to take that series. So we'll never be lacking in confidence anytime we get down in a series. And then the Blazers, I thought, you know, you mentioned Whitson, I thought overreacted to, uh, you know, to what happened and decided to make wholesale changes when maybe just staying pat might have been maybe adding, tweaking the roster as opposed to overhauling it and, and some key parts may not have been the way to go. And and I think it, maybe history tells us it wasn't the way to go, but uh, a lot of finger pointing of, you know, internally about who was to blame for losing that game seven. I don't know if there was any one individual, but uh, it was certainly a, 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 an amazing collapse and, uh, and one that unfortunately affected more than just one Sunday afternoon in Los Angeles for, for this Portland franchise, I think. I can't add too much more than that. You, you summarized it very well. Mike Dunleavy always said, man, I wouldn't have changed anything about that game seven, the fourth quarter, other than one thing, hit some shots. Yeah. Sure. Wasn't it 13 in a row? I think. Yeah, it was, it was, it was quite a few. And, and some of their best players were, were missing those shots. So, so yeah, that, that, that had a lot to do with it. That's for sure. But uh, well, I appreciate the time, sir. And tell everybody again, how they can follow you on your website. And also when we can anticipate uh, that uh, cursey book hitting the shelves. Yeah. The, the, the book is called overcoming the odds. Uh, how Jerome Kersey's uh, Jerome Kersey's uh, path from Clarksville, Virginia to the NBA. It'll be out uh, in, uh, it's in Dementi Books. Uh, it'll be out probably in late August. You can buy it uh, at bookstores or wherever books are sold or on our on my website, kerryeggers.com. If you want to get a, an autographed uh, a version of it, uh, that's the best way to go. And, and we'll send it, get it right to your door. Very nice. Very nice. Well, thank you, sir. I appreciate the time as always. Great catching up with you and uh, wonderful insights as uh, as we always like to do with you, spraying all fields and getting a lot of, lot of uh, different things covered and uh, astute uh, observations by you as always. So thank you very much for the time. And also tell everybody how they can catch you on Twitter too. Yeah, at Kerry Eggers uh, and Wheels. I got to say, I, I, people forget what a great radio show you had through the years, you know, with your excellent broadcasting, you're known for that. But I miss that. And it's fun to hear you. I mean, you do such a good job with this show. I hope this thing catches on as well. Well, it's nice of you to say, Kerry. I appreciate that. And I, I miss the radio show, too. It was a, it was a kind of a, a fun show to do and kind of a little deviation from play-by-play, play, but kind of um, um, had a lot of the same uh, enjoyment in, in doing that. So hopefully we'll we'll get back. But in the meantime, uh, this is a nice, uh, nice way to still – let people know I'm still alive and uh, still hopefully with something to contribute. But uh, thank you again for the time today and uh, look forward to catching up with you again, hopefully hopefully in person real soon. Maybe uh, you, Rob Klaus, and I will uh, break bread here sometime soon. That'd be great. Thanks, Wheels. Gary Eggers, the Dean of Portland Sports Media, joining us on our Friday edition of the Believe in Blazers podcast. 
Have a terrific weekend. We're back with you with a new edition of the uh, podcast on Monday. Until then, so long, everybody. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.